With insight on God's mercy, here's Pastor Ed Ray. There's a difference between grace, of course, something you don't deserve, and mercy, not getting what's coming to us. God is merciful. God's mercy restrains Him from giving us what our sins deserve. God is merciful. It's a fundamental component of His character. The old King James says He is plenteous in mercy. He's got more mercy than you can imagine. Zion, now filled with hands, and in this place gotta dwell with man. Sick be healed, and the crippled stand singing hallelujah. My kingdom built with the blood of my son, selfless sacrifice for everyone. Faith, hope, love, and harmony. I said, let this world know me by your love. Grace gives us what we don't deserve. And mercy doesn't give us what we do deserve. So to say that she doesn't deserve mercy makes her a candidate for grace and vice versa. Well, hello and welcome to Grow in Grace with Pastor Ed Ray. Grace and mercy are timely topics for our world today that's calling for the opposite. The many problems we face demand our attention. Well, today's scripture in 1 Timothy will help us with the right kind of response we'll learn about the application of grace and mercy, and it may surprise you. Pastor Ed gets us started by reading our scripture and introducing this important letter. We are looking at 1 Timothy chapter 1. Paul writes, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of God our Savior in the Lord Jesus Christ, our hope. To Timothy, a true son in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. As I urged you when I went into Macedonia, remain in Ephesus that you may charge some that they teach no other doctrine, nor give heed to fables and endless genealogies which cause disputes rather than godly edification which is in faith. Now the purpose of the commandment is love from a pure heart, from a good conscience, and from sincere faith, from which some, having strayed, have turned aside to idle talk. Desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor the things which they affirm. But we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully, knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous person or an innocent person, but for the lawless and insubordinate, for the ungodly and for sinners, for the unholy and profane for murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers, for manslayers, for fornicators, for sodomites, for kidnappers, for lawyers, liars, not lawyers, liars. <laughs> kind of a Freudian slip, maybe. <laughs> for liars, <laughs> perjurers, and if there is any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God which was committed to my trust. Law or gospel? So we come to a new book. It's always kind of fun when we get to a new book to, for me to uh, give you a little background so that you'll be enticed to read along with this and study it. Now, the Apostle Paul's two letters to Timothy, we're looking at obviously just the first one, together with this letter to Titus, have been called pastoral epistles or pastoral letters because these letters were written to two young pastors to help them understand what leadership is within the church. 
Now, the other books that we've been studying, the letters from Paul, have been written to churches. These are unique in that they're written to individuals. Most modern scholars believe that these are the last letters to come from the hand of Paul. We just left First and Second Thessalonians, which we believe are the first letters that Paul wrote. So we went from the earliest part of Paul's ministry in 5051 to the latest part of his ministry in mid-60s, maybe. So the book of Acts closes with the Apostle Paul in prison. But Dr. Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, tells us or suggests that Paul was released from his first imprisonment. He traveled with Timothy and Titus around the Roman Empire before going to the east again. Now, Paul let Titus, we'll see on the island of Crete when we get there, to help a brand new church that was just starting. But when they got to Ephesus, Paul left this young man, Timothy, there to a church that was already established, which would be problematic for Timothy. They won't readily accept him. He's young. The church has been there for more than 10 years. And there's some elders in the church that are teaching false doctrine, the law, salvation and sanctification by law. So when Paul asked him to take the church over there, he knew that it would be difficult for Timothy, but that's part of Timothy's training. He'd already been all over the Roman Empire with Paul and understood what he'd watched Paul, what he was doing. Paul moves from there, goes on to, we believe, Spain and probably Britain. And shortly after he left there, he was arrested again and held in the Mamertine prison. It's really a dungeon, a hole in the ground in Rome. Early church historians tell us after Paul was in the Mamertine prison for a year or more, he was beheaded on the Ostian Way just outside of Rome. These letters come, therefore, from the close at the end of Paul's ministry. And uh, he's writing to someone who's very dear to him, very important to him. In fact, he calls him his son in the faith, this young man, Timothy. So it's a beautiful letter from a father to a son in the faith, and it's written to this young man who is now pastoring in this city. This is the city of Ephesus. Modern-day Turkey, very close to the sea. It actually was on a bay. The Library of Celsus is just an astonishingly beautiful area. All the marble, this is the amphitheater again. The road that goes down at the top uh, actually went out to the bay where all the ships came in. The Temple of Diana or Artemis. She was the supposed goddess of love. It was a, one of the seven wonders of the world. It's all marble. It was built on a swamp. And uh, a lot of people came there to this city called the Queen of the East, the biggest city in Asia, Minor, which we would call Turkey today. So Paul left Timothy to lead this church in Ephesus. And Timothy soon found that he wasn't completely accepted and that he was going to have to prove himself. They didn't respect his leadership. He was young, probably. He also seemed to be timid, we'll see as we read on a little bit, maybe shy and withdrawn. And so Paul is writing him in this first letter to encourage him to just do the things that he'd seen Paul do. Paul has been his model. This breaks up into three parts. Grace, peace, and mercy, verse 1 and 2. Some have strayed 3 through 7. And then the law for the lawless, 8 through 11. So it's actually, there's a lot of stuff embedded here. So let's jump in and see what God might say to us about our own lives today, 2,000 years later. Paul writes verse 1, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the commandment of God. 
by the commandment of God, our Savior, and the Lord Jesus Christ, our hope. Now, Paul opens with a a statement that's similar to his other letters. Only in the past, he said he was an apostle by the grace of God or the will of God. Here he is by the commandment of God, a royal commandment. The word he uses is a king's decree. And I think he's trying to steal, he's trying to shore up Timothy's faith and yours and mine in the process. Paul is saying, I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. I know right now today I'm in exactly the right spot where I'm supposed to be. Timothy, you are exactly in the right spot God wants you to be. Church, you are in exactly the right spot God wants you to be right now, this morning. Don't have to run out, oh no, I'm not supposed to be here. You are where the Holy Spirit wants you right now. That takes a lot of pressure off, right? Now, I can't help you with tomorrow. The Holy Spirit will tell you where you're supposed to be if it's different. But you assume that you keep doing what you're doing until God shows you something different. That's what Paul is saying. He's doing what God told him to do, and he's going to continue to do it until God gives him something different, something new that he's supposed to do. Paul says... Expect to be criticized. I think that's embedded in here. You're here by the command of God. Don't be dissuaded by people or circumstances that make it difficult. Life is hard. It has all kinds of speed bumps and potholes and and tight turns in it that you and I never expected. It's to be expected, the unexpected. So Paul is saying, get ready. He says he's an apostle, the one who was sent, an emissary an ambassador. He says, you are an ambassador to Christ. Those of you that have given your heart to him, you now represent him. You are an ambassador for another nation, for another kingdom. You may have a passport that says U.S. citizen, but if you've surrendered your life to Jesus, your main passport is to heaven. You belong to the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, and you represent that king the King of kings and the Lord of lords, but that's your great privilege. That's my great privilege to talk about God and his ways. God our Savior is an interesting title. Moses called God our Savior. In Deuteronomy, David said so in the Psalms, God our Savior. Mary in the Magnificat, my soul doth magnify the Lord, my spirit doth rejoice in God my Savior. So here's the first time that Paul uses that phrase, but he'll use it again in Titus. And in Titus 3.6, he says, Jesus Christ is our Savior. So we don't have two saviors. It's not Jesus and Father God, or is it? (laughs) Because this is proof of the divinity of Jesus Christ. Further proof that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are God. And salvation, under no other name, Acts 4 tells us, so we know that it is through Jesus. Jesus Christ, and then an interesting word, our hope. Hope. An important word, hope, particularly in the Bible, because it's connected to the word faith, to trust. Here it means an anticipation, an expectation, a trust of coming good, seeing him face to face. When you surrender your life to Jesus, you can bet the farm that you will stand in front of him after you take your last breath here. He is our hope. He conquered death. The grave didn't hold him. 
And he promised that he would never leave us or forsake us. And so he is our great expectation of coming good. Expect him. You're listening to Grow in Grace with Pastor Ed Ray. And we're very glad you are. We continue now in 1 Timothy chapter 1 with Pastor Ed delving deeper into this sure and certain hope we have in the Lord. More than wishing something to happen, it's to know it. A reliance, a trust, and assurance that he, in fact, is going to come and get us. Now, I was reading something completely unconnected, it would seem, by G.K. Chesterton, but it turns out it's about this word hope in an interesting way. It won't sound like it at first. Listen, he wrote, Fairy tales do not tell children that dragons exist. Children already know that dragons exist. Fairy tales tell children that dragons can be killed. What's he talking about? He's saying we are children of God. We know the dragon, the serpent, the snake, Satan comes against us, but he can be defeated. That's what he was saying about fairy tales. Kids already know that there are evil things, but they need to be taught that evil can be defeated. That's our hope. In fact, Jesus has already done it. He has already won our freedom at the cross. It's been done. We only need to hang on to his robe, the hem of his robe. Remember the lady that came up and grabbed a hold of the robe? She said, Lord. And that's what you and I just need to do. Just hold on to him. So that's hope. Verse 2, to Timothy, my true son in the faith. Now, he uses three words that are important. Grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ our Lord. This is unusual because all his other letters, he said grace and peace. Now he adds a third word. We know that grace was a greeting to the Greeks, but it's also a gift from God. And Paul uses it to describe that undeserved gift of salvation that comes to Timothy and to the people in Ephesus and to you and I. That it is a gift. It is not earned. Nobody deserves it. I don't deserve to be saved. But Jesus gave me the gift. He gives you the gift. Peace comes because of it. Shalom, that Hebrew word that means wholeness, balance, complete health, everything at peace. But now he adds this third word, mercy. Mercy, very interesting. Now, Timothy was from the city of Lystra. That's in what's modern-day Turkey. It's about 70 miles away, 65 miles away from where he is staying. Paul had gone to his home, evidently, on his first missionary journey. Now, Timothy was a young man, probably not even a teenager when Paul first went there. He must have stayed at his house because Paul writes about Timothy's mother and grandmother, Eunice and Lois. He knew them personally. And then when he came around to a second missionary journey, 10 years later or so, this young man was a teenager. And Paul saw great potential in this young man. Even though he was that young, Paul asked his mother and grandmother if he could come with him to go visit the other churches. Now, there must have been tears, must have been difficult for mom and grandma, but what an opportunity. Go with the Apostle Paul. Be discipled by the Apostle Paul. Now, Timothy evidently saw Paul as his hero, and he wanted to be around him. Who wouldn't? 
when I get to heaven, he's one of the first people I'm going to talk to after talking to Jesus. I'm going to sit down with Paul and just ask him. I got a ton of questions, Paul. Tell me, how did this happen? Why did this go this way? What was that? Uh, just a brilliant guy who made it all the way, did it right. So Timothy is listed in a lot of Paul's writings. We saw him in the letter to Thessalonia. We saw it in the book of Philippians. Uh, Timothy carried a letter to Philippi. He came with Paul and then went back later. So Timothy had seen everything, all the various churches that Paul had started. So he comes with some background. He had his special relationship, Paul, father and son relationship. And God has chosen this young man to do this. But Paul reinforces that. He says, grace, mercy, and peace. Now, we know about grace and we know about peace. But mercy is the one that's unique here. He'll say it again in Titus. There's a difference between grace, of course, something you don't deserve, and mercy, not getting what's coming to us. God is merciful. God's mercy restrains him from giving us what our sins deserve. We read that God is merciful. It's a fundamental component of his character. The old King James says he is plenteous in mercy. He's got more mercy than you can imagine. We're told his mercies are new every morning. You get new mercies this morning because you used up yesterday's mercies. Some of us ran through them by two in the afternoon. And so we need to hang on to the mercies we get again. He doesn't reward us, David said, according to our iniquities, but his mercy is everlasting. He gives us mercy. All we must do is ask for it. Okay, so these three together, I'm reading a daily devotional called Daily Bread, and it just happened, a God incidence, that the Daily Bread was talking about these three words. It said this, mountain climbers who free climb have a simple motto, keep three points on the rock. Think of somebody going up the face of El Capitan in Yosemite. In other words, before you move a foot, make sure the other foot and both hands are firmly positioned on solid rock. If you're going to move a hand, make sure your other hand and both feet are securely placed. Now, that's a good safety tip for our spiritual lives as well. To keep from falling, we need to keep a grip on three rock-solid truths. Grace, mercy, and peace. Three words the apostle used. Number one, we are given our salvation as a gift of God's grace. Caris, it is a gift. Number two, because of his mercy, God withholds his judgment from us. And number three, his peace enables us to stand in quiet confidence when the howling gales of adversity swirl around us. Number one, grace points to the past. Our salvation goes back before the foundations of the world. Number two, mercy speaks of the present. Today, it is manifested to us each day. And thirdly, peace is the consummation because it makes our future secure. These three will give us security during our spiritual mountain climb. We will not fall if we keep three points on the rock. Grace, mercy, and peace. God's gift to you. Verse 3, and I urge you, Paul speaking to Timothy and us, that when I went into Macedonia, remain in Ephesus, that you may charge some that they teach no other doctrine. So the word charge here is a military term, and Paul's saying, I, I have placed you under a command to do this, that you would confront these men who were elders, who were probably older than Timothy was, to teach no other doctrine than what they had heard from Paul. 
This compound word, uh, no other, means of a different kind. To teach something that was a gospel different than what Jesus taught his disciples, who then taught it to the churches and wrote it down so that you and I would have direct access to that Jesus' very words. So the gospel of salvation is the one that Jesus spoke. This is another gospel, as we saw in Galatians 1. Be careful when someone comes to you and says, I have a new truth. I have a deeper truth. I have a a fresh understanding nobody's ever had for 2,000 years of following the Holy Spirit to Jesus. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. That little baloney meter to go. No, 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 no. There is no brand new truth. There's only the truth that Jesus gave, and that's why he left us a book, and that's why we study it. Now, we've seen plenty of weirdness in our lives come through the church. You know, there's holy laughter, shepherding still around today. Currently, there's a church not far from here that claims an instantaneous tooth cavity filled with gold by God. I thought I might go over because I just have like lead and mercury in my mouth, and I'm thinking... I'm not. I'm just kidding, okay? So there's weird stuff going on. Paul says, don't go running to and fro, and don't let these guys teach this. Verse 4, not giving heed to fables. That's a fable. And endless genealogies, which cause disputes rather than godly edification, building up in the faith. Don't give heed to fables. Now, uh, probably Paul was referring to something that was going on at that time, the Talmud. Literally, the word means instructions in Hebrew, being compiled from about 100 BC through about the 5th century. So during this time, the rabbinical commentary on the Bible was being written and collected, thousands literally of rabbis. But it includes a lot of fables and a lot of Jewish folklore. That's not an insulting thing I'm saying. If you ask a rabbi today, he will uh, agree. Now, we have, some of you might even have a Bible here this morning that has an apocrypha in it. And it's a center section of extra books that were not recognized by the Jews as being biblical, and they were not recognized by the early church. Again, a myth. Paul says something similar to in Titus 1.14, not giving heed to Jewish fables or myths. Some of you know about Kabbalah. That literally means receiving traditions. And it's the name applied to a whole group, a whole range of Jewish mystical thought, of philosophy, of numerology, of special conditions where numbers mean certain things. Within the church, the the Bible code, I have a book, the Bible code, and I I got about three pages into it, and I went, this is baloney again. (laughs) A whole book of baloney. And if the Bible Code 1 wasn't bad enough, he wrote a second one, Bible Book, Bible Code 2. And if that wasn't bad enough, now there's a Bible Code 3 that just came out. And if you Google Bible Code in, on Amazon, you get more than 200 books with that title. And they're all baloney. A couple of uh, endless genealogies that are still around from that time. There was a book called The Book of Jubilee, and once more it's for sale on Amazon. I'm not telling you to go read it. Don't waste your time. The Biblical Antiquities of Filio, another book written about 70, 80, about the same time that Paul's writing. Again, just a retelling of the Old Testament through 1 Samuel. And these are all fables. They're genealogies. They're spiritual pedigrees and going deep into things that don't help. 
Pastor Ed Ray concluding our time today on Grow in Grace with a call to be discerning about the many different kinds of writings out there that aren't helpful to the believer. Again, as Pastor Ed put it, we each have a baloney meter to alert us, and our reading and studying of the Bible will help keep it in good working order. Well, this is our very first study in 1 Timothy, and we look forward to going through the entire book with you in the days ahead. If you missed part of today's message or would just like to hear it again, go online to thepackinghouse.org or call and ask for a CD copy at 844-77-GRACE. That's 844-77-GRACE. We're also on YouTube at Packing House Christian Fellowship. Your support for Grow in Grace is not only needed, but greatly appreciated. And those that do this month will send you Power Through Prayer by E.M. Bounds. Maybe prayer to you is just something you do without much thought before a meal or just another thing to cross off your to-do list. There's great power through prayer, and this book will help elevate your thinking about it. To see how it truly makes a difference, this guidebook provides believers with information about the most effective way to use prayer to better understand God's Word, fully appreciate divine power, and more deeply commune with the Lord. Again, it's our way of saying thanks for your gift of any amount to grow in grace. You can reach us at 844-77-GRACE. That's 844-77-GRACE. This program is brought to you by the Packing House Christian Fellowship. Son, selfless sacrifice for everyone. Faith, hope, love, and harmony.